podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome to the Five Year Plan podcast. Three, Pod. I don't even know anymore. Four, four something, four sixty something. Uh, and Palace have lost one nil at Aston Villa. Of course they have. Uh, joining me this week to discuss that fantastic game, Ruben Pinder is back. Ruben, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely pleasure to have you back on. Um, and. It's the family Fifield. Well, not only is Tom Fifield here. Hello, Tom. Hello, JD. We've got his brother Andy is debuting on the pod. Andy, thanks for joining us. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Thank you, JD. Thanks for the invite. I, I feel yeah. very much like the um, Jonathan Benteco of this uh, situation. <laughs> brought, along, brought along by... Uh, the, the pod is about an hour long, which means you're going to have a longer Palace career than Jonathan Benteke had, I think, in a Palace shirt. Um but it's lovely to have you here. Uh, before we talk about, I mean, we have to, unfortunately, Palace losing 1-0 Villa. Should we do a drum roll for random patron? Let's do it. It's Mr. Rob Billington. <laughs> Hi, Rob. What a legend. Thank you for joining our patron, Rob. Uh, you can get all the rewards that Rob gets, including post-match podcast, extra content on the main pod, patron-only merchandise, and access to the patron-only Discord club at patreon.com slash FYP podcast. Uh, we're sponsored this week by Harry's Razors uh, and all general skincare stuff they do. Uh, Harry's have got an offer for FYP listeners. If you go to harrys.com slash FYP, you can get a free trial set with extra eye-brightening cream. Palace Ooh. fans might need it at the moment. Uh, and all you've got to do is pay £3.95 for postage. Uh, I can genuinely say I've been using Harry's myself, uh, and the brands love it when you say this, um, for about two years now, and it's actually generally the best razors I've ever used. They sponsored the pod about two years ago. We get sent free stuff, got sent a free one, liked it so much, signed up, and then they sponsored the pod about six times since then. I've got so many boxes of razors. If anybody would like some free razors, let me know. They are very, very good. Best shave I've ever had. And uh, the trial set is free at the moment, and they always chuck in something extra. This time around, it's an eye-brightening cream. Um, what else is in the trial set? An expertly engineered weighted handle, a five-blade cartridge, a foam shave gel, a travel blade cover for all those away games, and that free uh, brightening eye cream. Uh, and I'm contracted to let you know the skincare products can be added to shave plans anytime, anywhere. You don't have to worry about running out. Cleansing and exfoliating before you shave increases the chances of cleaner results. And their products are formulated with 0% sulfates, parabens, and dyes and alcohol free. Uh, so don't forget to sign up now at harris.com slash FYP 
uh, to start your own skincare journey and redeem that trial set. All you've got to do is pay for the three ninety five delivery. That's harrys.com slash FYP. And uh, we welcome Harry's on board this week. I was going to ask you guys for your favourite Harry from Palace History. But actually, Dom, I've had a look. There aren't that many. I'd say uh, Ben Watson. Very, very good. Very, very good indeed. Um, Topical as well. So we like that. Speaking of topical things, Ruben, let's come on to Villa 1, Palace Nil. Now, I don't, you know, we don't like to uh, indulge in hyperbole too much on this podcast. Um, But that was the most must-win game of all time. And they didn't win it. What went wrong for Palace at Villa Park? Just about everything that could. Like, it was... I remember last time I was on here, I was a bit more pessimistic than maybe some listeners and you and Jack, I think. But I I kind of... I could predict this. This is exactly the sort of game that we lose 1-0. Because Villa are kind of that kind of team. They're near us in the table... We did beat them this season. That game when Mateta scored from the brilliant Mitchell Cross is somehow this season. Um, so we expect to be able to get results against those teams. But they do just have a little bit more quality everywhere. Um, and yeah, I, I never really expected us to get anything out of this game. And it was it was limp, uh, the performance. It was There's just no threat of anything, really. We, we're not really excelling in any particular department. Like good Palace teams of the past 10 years have always been something you know they've they've been solid and quick on the break but we kind of we do we lack a bit of both of those things now and we're kind of somewhere in the middle which kind of you know is part of that whole identity crisis of like what what type of football do we play um so yeah it's just like everything went wrong obviously the own goal is quite unlucky but it does epitomize kind of what the team are, are like at the, at the moment yeah well, we'll come on to the own goal in a minute i'm going to ask one of team firefield what we can be positive about who would like to take a Domers or Domers literally, literally moved out of frame? I wish I wish <laughs> listeners could have seen that. So in that case, um I will in that case, I will come to Andy in a minute. Dom, I'll come to you first. Because we'll stay negative and then we'll go positive to Andy. Um this I think for a lot of people online, this seems to have been the game that some targeted for a win, given who we have coming up. The manner of the defeat and the defeat itself, I think, has possibly pushed a few fans over the precipice. How do you feel? Well, it's, it does sound as if that's happened. Um, Selzy's report on the pod extra at the weekend about the the, the chance even at, at Euston on the once fans have got back from from uh, Birmingham uh, suggests that something has snapped. I, I would caveat all that with. Since Unai Emery was appoint, appointed at Aston Villa, they're actually the fifth best team in the division. If you took at the results from the moment he was appointed, they'd be fifth. Um, so I don't see why Palace had any God-given right to think they would go up there and get a win. Uh, but in, in many ways, that performance was probably very similar to the one we put up at, at Villa Park last season when, when we drew 1-1 and, and came from behind, I think. I think Jeffrey Schlupp scored the equaliser. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, look, if, if Palace had Palace was still in the match in the second half at one nil down, there, there is always a chance that you rally late on and 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 pluck an equaliser. But the sending off really kiboshed that, and and from that moment on, there was no 
no real hope. But it just look, it's it's a horrible run of games. It's a horrible run of form. It's a team devoid of confidence. Um, it's a team that can't score goals, and that, which means that every game is is horribly, horribly tight. So if you get a an off a, a VAR offside decision against you early on, you know that there's likely to be a sting in the tail in it as well, and and that's how it proved. It's it's a very, very difficult time. And and look, next I don't want to throw it too far forward already, but but next week is is looking really quite daunting in the context of everything. Kibosh is such a great word, great word, and I never hear it outside of. Football circles, one of those, aplomb is another one. You only ever hear it alongside football words, um, but I'm very glad you used it. Um, Andy, okay, let me put two questions to you from our listeners. David Kent, hello, David, says, uh, we should be happy that we scored two goals. Very, very good, David, very good. Um, and Michael Phillips has put, reasons to be cheerful, question mark. I'm struggling to think of many. That was literally the most positive question we've had this week. But I'm going to put that to you then, Andy, because actually what Don was saying there, I didn't realise that about Villa's form since Emery's taken over. It's actually very interesting, given that and the fact that actually Palace only lost 1-0, were in the game, you know, for large spells and actually did score the winning goal themselves. Do we ever, do we have this, I mean, this is scraping the barrel. Well, what do we have to be positive about from Saturday? Well, there's, I would preface this by saying that I, I bow to nobody in my, in my sort of pessimism. Um, Don might rival me for that to some extent, but um, I think there's a what you would say about this Palace team is that they rarely completely capitulate. The the defeats against Fulham and Spurs were anomalies in that sense. Um, they probably left a few scars <laughs> on people and uh, take a bit of time to get over. But actually, most of our defeats have come by a single goal. Saturday was one of those games that could easily have been a nil nil or one nil to us. Um, Villa did not create a huge number of chances. You, so I think the the basis of the Palace team is has become more solid uh, since that Spurs game. Um, that at least gives the team a chance if they can somehow cure this apparently you know unsolvable problem of creating more chances at the other end. Um, all they need is for one of those to go in for a bit of luck or a bit of genius from one of the talented front players, and suddenly things might look a bit different and had Wilf's big toe stayed on side on Saturday I suspect we might be talking about a Palace win today and the whole picture becomes a lot rosier yeah I mean you know as as the as the first four minutes go Ruben it actually was pretty good and uh you know if Wilf wears size eights rather than size tens I think we are talking about one nil and as I said on the post-match pod changes the game completely but the goal isn't given it is offside it's one of those black and white things unfortunately although I did bring up the when they choose the frame for where they the player hits the ball through I guess sometimes there's a I don't I don't I don't know I'm not I'm not at Park so I don't know how easy or you know how straightforward that is or how many pixels they can zoom in or whatever but it has thrown up again this like this this run of not scoring I think since the Forest game our, our our run of goals is bad if you're into stats our run of XG is particularly awful as well um, and unsurprisingly, there are questions from our listeners about that. Uh, so Jason Mallon, hi Jason, uh, says, when's the next goal coming from? And he's put in brackets at the right end of the pitch. Uh, and Richard Volker has said, do they practice shooting at 
goal at practice or is it all passing? Um, what? First of all, Palace were unlucky with that opening goal, weren't they? Because it was a nice move. And then secondly, what what do we do about these this barrenness in front of goal? Yeah, I wish I had the answers. It was it was very unlucky that that Wolf goal got disallowed, as you said, like probably technically correct. But had it been marginally the other, like had he been marginally further back and onside, then again that would have they might that might have changed the attitude and the confidence in the team because it does often just take one to kind of get that habit back. Um, it's it's a shame we can't play two of him, like one through the kind of number nine position and one on the left wing because we he gets moved from from like from the wing to the centre all the time. And it's not quite... Like, he's obviously better on the wing, but if no one's going to score through the middle, then he's our best bet of doing that. And it's, yeah, it's a tricky one there. Um, in terms of solving the problem, a lot of people have been calling for this, and I think it's probably worth a go now. You've got to give Edward a run of games through the middle, right? Because, like, Mateta, for all of his apparent efforts, and, like, Vieira has been praising his uh, pressing and stuff, Um is not very good at shooting for a striker, which is bad. Um, and Ayu, again, Ayu does actually work incredibly hard, but has never been that prolific. Um, and, you know, Edouard has scored goals when he's had a run of games before. Um, and I, I, I remember recently Vieira called for him to do a bit more. So obviously he's not really impressed him in training enough to warrant a start. But at this point, like, you, you kind of have to chuck him in like we bought him for a reason and it was to be our proper number nine um so i think we just have to try that get wilf back on the left and and hope for the best really because yeah it's frustrating and i guess when you have matessa on the pitch there's like an obvious thing to do which like against brighton the reason he started right was to knock it over their press and not, not try and play through them but that wasn't working so you do kind of and if that's not working then matessa is basically completely ineffective whereas at least eduard does drop deeper gets he links up with with the midfielders a bit more, um, and hopefully, if he can form a nice partnership with with Zaha, where they kind of um, don't occupy the same space, but you know when Edouard drops, Zaha runs in behind, etc. Then maybe that'll work. That seems to be the only thing we can do to try and score more goals is play the other striker. It, it is Dom. It is a bit sort of clutching at straws at the moment, isn't it? Because I feel like they just. They rotate the strikers a bit. Try Mateta, doesn't work. Edward might get a little bit of a run, doesn't work. Oh, we'll try Ayu up there, doesn't really work. Wilf, well, he's doing three jobs at once. And maybe play a false nine. You know, they're just, nothing seems to work, which makes me think the issue maybe isn't even the striker. It's actually the creation of chances. Because it doesn't really even feel like Palace are having spells and games at the moment where they're battering a team's goal or they're, you know, really putting a defence under pressure. It's all just a bit sort of limp. Yeah, um, and and I guess the frustration is that probably one to eleven on Saturday, with the possible exception of Ayu, Ayu's inclusion ahead of Edouard, maybe I think most people would have thought that is our pretty much our strongest lineup. I, I would you have to you have to caveat it as in fact Adam did again on the post match that the, the the front four. Did not seem to be playing in the positions that you'd you'd anticipate they would be, which you know, on the one hand, might have thrown Aston Villa um, a bit of a curveball, but on on the other, it's not. It's almost got to the stage now with Palace with this run of games and the lack of confidence that it might be worth going back back to basics, and by that I don't mean going four four two and 
and just looking for for solidity um, and a, and a and a and a basis of a foundation because I think we've got that already, but but actually playing playing players where they are most comfortable and familiar and look that may that may annoy Wilfred. I mean, playing playing out wide left maybe not what he wants to do now. He may think he's the centre forward and should be playing through the middle as a number nine. Um, it, it it may mean that that Elise has to go back out to the to the right where he's cutting inside off the right rather than working as a number 10 through the middle. Um, and I, I don't really know about the Eberichi Eze situation, whether certainly in the games that we've got coming up, whether you know he would get into the team for three such daunting fixtures where we're not going to see very much of the ball. And maybe there's an argument there that you put a bit more steel into your midfield and... Whether that's, I mean, Will Hughes would presumably have to play instead of Decore anyway against Manchester City, and maybe, but maybe you have a the energy of an Ahamada in there as well in a three, and you just ask the front three to do their thing, and maybe that's Edward through the middle, Elise on the right, and and Will from the left, and and you hope you can nick something on the counter attack. Um, but it, it it's got to that stage now. The run is is that dismal. The, the confidence has disappeared to that extent that you. These players are craving some kind of familiarity, some kind of positive familiarity, and to me, the that would mean playing them in positions where they've enjoyed most of their careers. So maybe it's time we have to resort to that now. There's what no chance as a plays against no. City, Brighton, and Arsenal. Is there or starts at least, especially as you say about Decore, like he just he's not trusted. He's definitely seen as like a bit of a luxury player, which is something that he probably needs to address in terms of off the ball work rate. I'm not saying he's lazy, but like if he wants to get in the team, something will have to change when he doesn't have the ball. Um and if I remember correctly, when we beat City last season, Edward started on the left with Wilf through the middle so that Wilf didn't have to track back, didn't he? Um and that seemed to work. So I completely agree with Dom regarding like play players where they're comfortable, kind of a, a simple tactic. Like when you have those three those three attacking midfielders, it seems quite obvious what you should do with them. So let's do that. Um, but, you know, maybe there's a bit of flexibility with where Wilf and Edouard play because they're both kind of comfortable in both areas. Yeah, and yet, Elise has actually worked on that side of his game. Um, possibly even more surprisingly, actually, in terms of tracking back and, and does seem to be a bit more trusted uh, in terms of positioning. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. 
Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. What you're saying there, Tom, in terms of uh, sort of familiarity is all these players are basically like, like toddlers. They just need routine. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do with our toddler. And I'll be honest, it's not working. And that's clearly not working for Palace either. Well, but, but you're, yeah, it's, it's a good, it is a good analogy that, I mean, it's, it's particularly when, when a group of players have, have, if they're overthinking things and, and, and they're anxious and the anxiety is sort of set in, which it will have done after this run of games. It's, it has to have done. Um, it appears to be setting into the coaching staff as well. I mean, it's it's it, everything. They've got good reason to be worried. They've got good reason to be anxious. This Palace have been in a false position for an awfully long time. 12th place, they've made their own. Yeah, but everybody else behind them is catching up. Everybody else is winning games. Even the bottom team are beating, are beating sides now. Bournemouth are going to Arsenal and, and, and leading 2-0 and only losing out to 98th minute winners. I mean, it's it's... It's an anxious time for everybody. You don't want to be that team in mid-table that has forgotten how to win matches. So the anxiety is completely natural. And I just think they've almost tried everything else. They've almost they tried to be clever. They've tried to get all their most creative and talented players on the pitch at one time. It hasn't really worked. Um, there's there's a the confidence is just fractured. And I, I think now, given Palace's predicament and most moreover because because of the games coming up are so daunting that you just have to go with something that reminds them of what they were good at in the first place so basically get them to watch coco melon and we'll probably we'll probably be all right um do we think andy um it's mad it's mad asking this question about elite premier league footballers who are all on 100 grand a week but can it purely just be a, a crisis of confidence Oh, I think definitely it can be. <clears throat> I think you just have to look at the Villa game at home and compare it to what you saw on Saturday to to know that. I mean, I was I had a rare moment of giddiness in the um, the home game against Villa because we actually there were moments in that second half against uh, Villa in that day that we played some of the best football that I've ever seen a Palace team play at any level. Um, and I, I may have sent a few ill-judged um, WhatsApps, you know, talking about booking up flights to Europe. Get the passports out. Yeah, I mean, and and but to be honest, at that time it felt sort of justified because some of the interplay between the front players in particular and with Mitchell bombing down the left um, was really high class and wasn't it wasn't you know I don't think that was a, a misjudgment on on that day. But you compare that to the team that played on on Saturday, and you just knew that once they went a goal behind, there wasn't really going to be a, a way back for Palace in that game, certainly not to win it. Um, they had they have come back from single goal deficits before this season, the first half of the season. But that, even that seems to have been sort of sucked out of them. That belief that they can get back into games, but when you're not making chances, and your options are so limited, you're basically asking the same players to keep doing the same things and hoping for different results. And and that's that's simply not going to happen. Um, so it really is. It's a really difficult one for for Patrick Vieira. And as much as he's getting some criticism at the moment, and some of it's justified. I do have some sympathy for him because I don't think he has that many different options available to him because that, that was pretty much Palace's best 11 players 
on Saturday. Now, you can argue about whether they were all in the right positions, but I don't think our first choice 11 gets much better than that. Um, certainly won't on Saturday when Decore's uh, suspended. Um, there's an argument that maybe they need someone like MacArthur with his sort of leadership skills and general kind of aura about him, which might offer something a bit different. But, you know, that's what Vieira has got to work with. Um, so it is going to be a question of can those players somehow just flick a switch? And it might it might be that they just need one of those proverbial goals off the backside to go in <clears throat> to, to, to make that happen. Or it might be that, you know, something else behind the scenes has to change to make to make to make that to to affect that sort of transformation but at the moment it it doesn't look like it's going to happen organically it, this is the most frustrating thing about supporting palace and i'm sure it's not exclusive to us i'm sure it applies to lots of other clubs but the kind of bipolar nature of the football that we're able to play like sometimes when everything clicks it's magic and as you say it feels like we could sneak into Europe this season and feel like we're going places. And in other games, nothing works and we genuinely look like the worst team in the league. And I just don't understand how we're capable of such dis like disparate qualities of performance. Um, it's it's very annoying knowing what they could do if if everything was going right, watching them play such like tepid football. But don't you think that's typical of the Premier League this season, though? It's not just Palace that are like this. I mean, I think there have been, I think even Southampton might point to a few of their performances and say, well, you know, when we turn it on, we're quite something. I, I think there are a load of teams. I think it's no, I mean, Aston Villa are now. Leicester, Leicester, a good example, actually, because yeah. like Leicester battered Spurs, didn't they? But then also they've been very bad in a lot of other games, completely like just they, they just split open um, and they're kind of not solid at all. And then they can go and beat Spurs for it. Like, and even Spurs, again, a great example. Like, somehow they're in the top five, but quite often dreadfully dull. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, you're right. It is quite spread throughout the league, that that sort of characteristic. may well be born of of the exceptional nature of the season as well and, and the, having the mid-season break for the World Cup. And we're all in uncharted territory. We didn't really know how, how it would react. And there seemed to be an awfully large number of teams playing unbelievably turgid football that isn't producing goals. You can take Spurs, you can certainly take Chelsea, you can certainly take Palace, and you get a few others. I mean, Liverpool fans this time last week would probably say the same about them. But then they go and, you know, beat Wolves in midweek and then wallop Manchester United at the weekend. It's a really, really odd season. But because it's an odd season, Whenever you look back in, in history, odd seasons tend to have one outcome, and it usually involves Crystal Palace and, and a return to the championship. But let's not go there. Come on. Let's, let's positive, he says. I think <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not sending four teams down this year, so don't worry. We should be okay. <laughs> you see that with Palace this season. I mean, we are sort of microcosm of the whole league. Because, I mean, how many good 90-minute performances have Palace produced? I think both. We've had a few games where we played very well in the second half, in the first half of the season. Just think of Leeds and... Wolves and games like that, but I can't really think of too many. Even we haven't scored a first half goal for a very long time, have we? I saw a stat recently. I can't recall it off the top of my head, but yeah, we never, we never come flying out the blocks. This year. Sorry, this, this year. year, yeah, yeah. yeah it, I mean, even alarming. even in that Villa game at home, we were poor in the first half an hour and could have been more than one goal down. You know, it's 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 it has been a sort of feature of the campaign all 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 all, all year, and it's. But unfortunately, at the moment, we're not even getting the one half. We're just getting two two turgid halves. Well, I mean, we are somehow that... still twelfth. Um, still, yeah. There, there's I this. Speaking to, 
That's a blight. We're we're getting lulled into this. Full... You can look at it. 12... Oh no, I agree. I agree. The, the... That's what I'm saying. The position is uh, misrepresentative. Like the... I was speaking to a few mates. They're like, "There's this conspiracy theory that you lose every week and you never go down the table." But there was this massive gap, and it's just kind of disappearing. And now we've been sucked into it. Yeah. Palace will be 12th until they're 17th, and it yeah. will happen in a blink of an eye. And suddenly people will realise, "Oh, well, hold on a second. I mean, even now you, you look on externally. Even on match of the day on Saturday evening, they they sort of say, "Oh, Palace haven't won in a while, have they?" I mean, it's all a bit, bit strange there. But there's this assumption that things will just turn round and that it'll all be fine. And and, it, and I'm thinking of wider podcasts even than this. That you know, you know, it's just sort of like Palace are mid table. That's fine. It's a mid table game. Villa Palace is a mid table game. No, it's not. That Villa are far closer probably to the top four than they are to Palace now. I mean, it's that ridiculous. I mean, I don't know whether that's actually factory correct, but it's... it's I've, been, I've been trying to convince the lads through there to cover this issue because we're going so under the radar, um, <laughs> like, as to kind of how subtly bad we've been. I think it's because there's a lot of boring draws. We're quite late on match of the day, therefore, a lot of 3 p.m. kickoffs. Very few people actually catch how, like, how we perform uh, as a team. But that City game on the telly, that'll get people talking. <laughs> Palace might pull out of ridiculous. We might go back to typical Palace, and they might pull out a performance. As you said earlier, with the players, they are capable of. We just haven't seen it for a while. Say last season, we were subtly, we were subtly good. As in, our performances were probably better than our league position reflected for most of that season. I think, yeah, as you say, that this season it's definitely flipped, and we're a lot worse, (laughs) a lot worse than we than we appear to be. But even though yeah. we had a horrible run in the middle of the season where we didn't win a game. And and actually, I think there was a lot of anxiety around, around the club and possibly amongst the fan base as well, ahead of the Watford game, ahead of the, the JD derby, when we went out there and we won 4-1. Um, and it, it all looked rosy again. But I think if you, look, if you chart that back, I think the only game we'd actually won in the league was possibly at home to Everton back in December. And that game was in March. Um, and then you had to go back further to the, I think the Wolves game at home before the Everton match. It was a long stretch of matches in the middle of the season where we won, won one in 14 or something. And it, it's, it got masked by the cup run. We were winning games against, even against, you know, walloping Everton in the, in the FA Cup and, and, and winning matches in that competition. And so you never have this sort of sense that, that everything was collapsing around you because you were never winning matches. And, and it's... It sort of crept up on them, but they they rouse themselves for the run-in. My my concern this time around is that the league is a lot tighter. And when we start the games that we've been targeting for months, we've been saying, oh, the run-in, oh, easiest run-in in the Premier League. You know what? Going if, if Palace don't get a result next week, going into that Leicester game, can we imagine now the the anxiety and the the pressure that will be heaped upon Palace going into a home game against Leicester City, who, as we've just said, are capable of playing brilliantly as much as they're as often as they play awfully. I mean, it's you, you just don't know what's gonna what what they're gonna produce. It's it's a it's it's a tense one. You know, it's a, it's a properly that, tense. That's, that's the um the unfortunate thing is that I was gonna say to answer your question about what we can be positive about was that run of games, but then it's never it's not actually going to be as easy. It's not going to be easy at all because Everton and Leeds now have defensively good solid managers. Um, Javi Gracia will make Leeds a lot harder to beat. And Everton are no longer managed by Frank Lampard, which is, you know, great for them, bad for us, because 
that team was a lot easier to beat. And this, this, you know, Sean Dyche's Everton haven't exactly, they had a very short bounce and now they're kind of struggling again. But we will find it difficult to beat that team, 100%. Yeah. You look at the yeah. other team and they've all, they've all done something to try and change things. And that's either been a managerial change, which I think, I think there's only four teams in the bottom half that haven't changed manager this season. Uh, or they spent money either in the summer or more more recently in, in January. And Palace have obviously done neither of those things. Only one of those course of actions is now available to them. Very true. Which, unfortunately, we will come on to later on because we have a lot of questions in that uh, area. In fact, we'll do it now. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back with some really downbeat questions from our listeners. Welcome back to the Fabi Pan Podcast. Hey. <laughs> that is spot on ways uh, to give in the mood at the moment. Uh, let's go into questions from our listeners. Before we start with our actual listeners, I'm going to ask you guys a question that I forgot to ask in part one, which is about Decore's red card for two yellows. Uh, in fact, I'm going to try and get one word answers from you all because I feel like it's quite an open shut case. Uh, was it a deserved red card? Ruben, I'll come to you first. One word if you can. But I mean, you can talk about yeah, it. yeah. But maybe he was playing eight D chess, making sure he was back for the uh, important games without the threat of getting one. Very nice, very nice. He, was, he wasn't. It was just bad tackle. So yes, it was. Yeah. I actually thought the first tackle on replay, I could have seen that going to VAR and possibly being a red as well. Uh, and the second one came quite quickly afterwards, Andy. I wonder if that's playing on the ref's mind. But what were your thoughts on those two yellows? Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a red. It was a red. Um, and it's sort of it's sort of been coming. It's sort of amazing it hasn't happened already in some ways um, for him. He's he was being asked to do so much, wasn't he, in as, in that role for most of the season <clears throat> without much support around him, and he was picking up lots and lots of bookings, but um, somehow managing to avoid two in the same game. But the luck ran out on Saturday. Yeah, it was bound to happen at some point. Uh, Dom. Yeah. I really wish listeners could see what I see because he's just popping into frame, dropping bombs and then leaving again. Um, right, well, that's that done. Uh, let's move on to questions. Uh, Jack says, will we ever turn a corner again? Lovely stuff, Jack. Always, every week we get something uh, on that. Here's a couple of questions from... <laughs> it's actually from the same guy, but it was done on different platforms. Uh, so from Stuart Casey and Stuart Casey. Hi, Stuart and Stuart. Um, and he's put genuine question... Which players have improved this season? Ruben, I come to you first, because this is a very interesting question indeed. What do you think? Yeah, I hate how difficult this question is to answer. Um, Elise definitely has improved in his output. Um, like Numbers still aren't amazing, but he's trusted a lot more to play on the wing and track back, and he looks a bit more robust. So I'd say definitely Elise. Um it's very difficult to make the case that anybody else really has. Um, don't know what Decore was like in France. So let's just say he maybe has improved. He might not have. Proper straw clutching there. I think Elise is a, yeah. a, a nice shout and has improved in areas um, that maybe you wouldn't have expected to as well, which I think is quite nice. But Andy, has anyone else improved for you? Raksaki, maybe. <laughs> 
can't think of too many in the um, <clears throat> in the first team. I mean, yeah, Elise is probably a more rounded player. Um, although he's interesting that he's he's sort of d- delivering fewer goals and assists this year than he was last year, which is slightly slightly curious because I think his performances have been better. But yeah, I mean, genuinely, Raksaki might 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 be the only the only player who looks back at the season and thinks oh, I've actually you know taken my game to to another level. Might be in line for uh, Palace Player of the Year, um, Dom. Same question to number three, uh, and also extra question: Is that a worry then? If no one's improving under the manager. Well, yeah, because you want progression, and we've said that before. It's 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 all about it's it's all about progression. That's the that's, for a club like Palace um, with ambitions to remain in the division. You you have to progress, and if you're not going to do wholesale changes to the playing staff every year, then you've got to improve those players that you you have. Um, so yeah, it is a cause of concern. I, I completely echo the guy's sentiments on Elise. I think it was it's telling that he was the one that put the tackle in and the build up to Will's disallowed goal at the weekend. I mean that he wouldn't have done that, I don't think, last season. His work rate has definitely improved. I think he's even even by putting in that tackle, he's proved Jamie Redknapp's um, observations rather obsolete. Um, but but beyond that, yeah, I, I we haven't seen huge improvement. I mean, I suppose I don't know. It's difficult because you know people who who want to look completely at the positives, glass half full people will probably point to the fact that Palace are. I think they were a point up on last season going into Villa. I'm not quite sure where they are now after losing at Aston Villa. Um, but anyone who's actually watched the games and, and seen how the, a lot of those points have been accrued and we'll, we'll look back with a few rose-tinted glasses at, at, at the energy that, the, dare I mention, Conor Gallagher provided this team last year. Ding, 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 ding. We're playing a different way, aren't we? We're playing a different way. And, and we had to play a different way because we didn't have him. But I'm not sure that that different way has necessarily been, um, well, it hasn't, hasn't been particularly watchable in the same way and 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 suggests that, that the, the progression on the playing style that we saw last year, whilst very marked last year, has almost shrunk back a bit this time around because we haven't had the players with the dyna- dynamism that, that Connor provided. Now that we've mentioned it, we might as well go to that a little bit more. <laughs> I was reluctant to bring him up again. But yeah, his energy masked a lot of the kind of underlying issues with um, with how we played because a lot of our chances came from him pressing quite high up the pitch um, and winning the ball back in those dangerous areas and then just kind of whipping across in. Like He very rarely ran with the ball for that long um and didn't really drop that deep to get it unless he was uh like winning the ball back rather than like distributing play and then the absence of that has kind of forced us to think oh okay how are we actually going to create chances now without that player with four lungs um and yeah you just a big part of me wishes that he could have played with decore because that could have really worked beautifully whereas gallagher had kuyate and now decore doesn't have a gallagher and if they just overlapped for a season then that could have been really good um if i could bring the mood down even more uh can we talk about well john dodds has sent the question in hello hello dodsy um 
Let's talk about Tyreek Mitchell, he says, Andy. Seems to have seems awfully lost at times and seems to be getting in behind him far too easily. Thoughts? And obviously that was the case with the own goal again on Saturday. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean his 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 form hasn't been hasn't been as strong as it was last season, was it? And it's often it's often the way that, you know, for young for, for young players who 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 break through and do extremely well <clears throat> early on, it is hard to sustain it. Opponents wise up to you, they 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 work out ways of targeting your weaknesses and perhaps a little bit of complacency kicks in for the for the player himself. Um I don't think he's been helped by the fact that he has no competition for his place. I mean that's that's that is a I don't think you can underestimate that. I think psychologically, when you know that you're essentially the only option for your manager and the consequences of a bad performance are going to be, you know, minimal, then on some level you must it must be quite difficult to maintain your standards. Um I'm sure he's trying really hard. I don't I don't he doesn't strike me as somebody whose attitude is is poor. Um I'm sure he's aware that he's struggling a bit. I also sympathize a bit with the fact that he doesn't get he often doesn't get a huge amount of protection ahead of him. Um and then we've talked about that before, I'm sure, on this on this podcast. It's on the right hand side, it's a bit different when you've got someone like Ayu up ahead of you and even a, a harder working Michael Elise, you've got a bit more protection. But Tyree gets gets exposed a lot and and opponents have worked that out. And when we've seen a lot of the goals that we've been conceding recently and the chances that we've been conceding have come from Tyreek's side, which, you know, is partly his fault, but not entirely. Yeah, completely agree. And there's always there's always more than one factor with a player's lack or improvement of form. But the worry for Tyreek, I think, is that it's been basically all season rather than sort of a blip. It seems to be an extended thing. But as you said, young players do fluctuate in form and there is a good player in there. Uh, so hopefully uh, they can find a way to get that back out of him again. Um, I need to worry about Tyreek. I mean, he's not a problem. He's not one of Palace's problems. Like, out of all the things we've got to deal with at the moment, he 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 comes a long way down the list. He'll be he'll be a very good player. He might not be a fifty sixty million pound player, but I think he's a I think he's a good top flight fullback and will can, could easily get better, possibly with some better coaching. And that's only because the list is so long. Indeed. Yeah. So it's a long list. Two pages, I would say. Possibly onto a third page. Um, uh, Turtle Tech Soccer Camps. Hello, Turtle Tech. I said, should we take a, a shot from kickoff just for stats sake? Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think try and pad those stats out. Can I just make, make an observation on that, actually? I thought it was really interesting what Bournemouth did at Arsenal on um, on the weekend and how they they actually tried to use the kickoff to, for a purpose as opposed to for Palace, who essentially just... Use it as a way of trying to, you know, wind down the clock for for ten, fifteen seconds um, without conceding a goal. You know, it's actually one of the re- few occasions you can actually catch a team off guard, and and maybe for a team like Palace, who are currently going through this sort of run, might be our best chance of actually scoring a goal in the first like two or three minutes of a match when when a team isn't quite set. We should be do, trying to be a bit more ambitious with what we do from kickoffs. It was a brilliant move. More, more, more teams should do that because it's basically a set piece, isn't it? Kickoff, like yeah. a set piece with weird rules. Um, there was that. There was that routine that everybody copied off each other. Like PSG did it, where you do like a few quick passes, and then Messi ended up bending this ball through to Mbappe over the top of a defence. And because they're so static, you can catch them off guard. I'm sure Bournemouth did that as well. Um, and I think loads of different teams copied that. Um, yeah, we need to be a bit more inventive. We might as well try something like that. That's my point. That sort of comes back to the coaching thing again, really. I mean, it's not not necessarily expecting us to score goals from kickoff every week, but 
what are we trying that's a bit different? Like you, you occasionally see a bit of variation in set pieces. Occasionally, like the goals we scored at Bournemouth were were quite well worked set. Well, the, the, the second one more so, a well worked set piece. Very rarely see us trying interesting different things from set pieces. Um, and again, you just sort of wonder whether they're maybe thinking hard enough about that, particularly when it, when your team is not scoring any goals. Like set pieces, such an important thing for us. You know, yeah, the goal, the 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 essay goal down at Bournemouth was the only one that springs to mind, and that was Dean Kylie, wasn't it? I think Vieira said that was that was uh, that was Dino, um, but that felt like an anomaly. That felt pretty rare. You don't really see it very often from Palace. Um, so yeah, it would be nice uh, for them to try uh, something else. The, I, I, Ruben, I'd seen that on on TikTok that routine that loads of teams copied that started at PSG. Slight difference is that PSG have got Messi threading it through to Mbappe, and we've got Schlupp threading it through to Mateta. So not quite the same, unfortunately. Um, oh, I'm You've got TikTok as well. What, this is ridiculous. What's going on? How old are I'm you? A t- I'm a TikTok star, mate. I'm a, I'm a bloody TikTok legend. <laughs> 80,000 followers and counting. I uh, got a lot of spare time on my, on my hands. Um, Andy's brought up the coaching there. We're going to have to come on to it before we move on to winners and losers. Uh, lots of questions about Vieira. Not all of them negative. Most of them negative, but not all of them. So um, Quentin Solden, hello Quentin, says how low on the table do we need to sink before Vieira? Oh no, I lied. This is actually about Vieira's strategy. I should have read the question beforehand. Uh, changes his strategy or, lets the club, or the club lets him go. Okay, same one. On the same theme. Um, not bot, great name, uh, says, is it time for Parrish to have a car park meeting with Vieira? Lovely little nod back to 2013 there, or 2012. Um, and Morgan Mitchie says, if not Vieira, then who and when? But if I could, Ruben, put a positive spin on it. Patrick Stevens says, 10 months ago, Arsenal fans wanted Arteta sacked and replaced by Vieira. Does anything more clearly demonstrate the madness of modern-day football fans? Then at AFC and now at Palace. You know what? Reading that question back, it's not as positive as I, th- as I thought, actually. <laughs> no, it's, been, it's actually maybe quite anti Vieira. Yeah, there's no solidarity between Patrick's there. But um, yeah, it, it feels a bit like the elephant in the room, doesn't it? Like, he's such a lovely bloke and last season was so much fun that we are all probably a bit more reluctant to criticise him as a manager than we would be of other managers. Um, but basically everything we've discussed on this podcast so far points to Vieira maybe not having the solutions and not quite being the man to take us forward that maybe we thought he was last season, which doesn't mean he's a terrible manager, but there are serious questions to be asked now about how he's going to fix this, get us out of this rut. Um, in terms of how low we actually go before he gets sacked, I think we'd have to we'd have to look like we were really going to go down before and then Parrish would get a firefighter in maybe and then we get back into that cycle of of hiring firefighters which I, I he definitely doesn't want to do like he definitely wants to kick on with the project manager which was the whole reason you know they they hired Vieira in the first place but um the the financial penalty of getting relegated is so severe that well, I don't know. Maybe like the Fifield brothers are probably much better equipped to say this uh, than me. But I don't know if we are like prepared to go down and just take that hit and then come back up. Like presumably we'd panic and sack him and get somebody else in. The Fifield brothers sound like a sort of country and western duo, and I would buy that CD. I'd buy that CD so hard. Um, the problem is, Dom, 
and Ruben's alluded to it there, and in fact, not uh, Morgan Mitchie has as well. I I think there's a real lack of firefighters available at the moment. In fact, I think there's a real lack of any decent coaches to come in in that kind of scenario and save Palace. I mean, what what do you think? Well, I mean, they back themselves into a bit of a corner on this, and with all the good and right intentions. Palace have moved on from having to hire a Tony Poulis or a Sam Allardyce or a, or that that type of manager. Incidentally, no, no, no club out there is doing that anymore, really. I mean, the, the nearest any club has got to that is Sean Dyche and his availability, but uh, who are going to Everton. Um, but but there isn't a market for for a Poulis or a or an Allardyce anymore. It seems that football has moved on and left them behind. Um, but the thing is, if they did ever hire someone of that type to get them out of a hole like this, I'm not quite sure how how people would react. It's Palace decided that, that the pragmatism of the Roy Hodgson era was over and that they were going to go a different route. You can't give up on that after 20 months. You know, the first, well, not the first, but, you know, the first time where we've actually sat here thinking, oof, we're in a bit of trouble now. Uh, And then then revert completely back to tight. Not least because you spent the last 20 months signing players not to play the Roy Hodgson, Tony Poulis, Sam Allardyce will get results first way you're trying now to be more expansive and you're trying to do things differently um but you know, the thing that i'm I'm really interested in this and and, and actually I'll, I'll throw this back to ruben if that's all right uh, andy and i are, are, are old i mean i'm older than andy by considerable distance <laughs> but we're old we're now we've seen palace no. really more times than we would care to relive we, we we know what happened when Palace were relegated. We we know almost firsthand, actually, the you know what happens in the wake of a of a relegation. Now, um, JD slightly slightly younger, and he saw it in the nineties. Um, I'm not sure that Palace if Palace go down, they do a Burnley. I'm, I'm not sure that that's what they do. I'd, I'm not sure that they can do that. But I'm also quite intrigued, intrigued what what younger generations who maybe haven't seen quite as haven't been as scarred as as we have by relegations in the past. How you consider relegation? Do you see it as a sort of cleansing after years of having this fear on your shoulder that you might go down, you might drop out of the elite? Do you see it as a almost like an exorcism, and you can just you can you can just enjoy life in the championship again, or or does it genuinely keep you awake like it? in that night like it does me it, it it's not as terrifying now as it was a few years ago because like i'm slowly coming to terms with the fact that wolf's probably going to leave in the summer right whereas in previous years us going down would be him leaving the club and watching him play was what made watching palace enjoyable for me mainly so that was those two things were very connected whereas now i'm kind of coming to terms with that we have other young players like there are other good wingers about like it's not all about watching him but you know we all love him um my fear that remains regarding relegation is that while there is an there is a possibility so i can hear myself through the wall <laughs> um there's a possibility that 
we handle it okay. We spend a year in a championship. Then maybe we come back up the year afterwards when we've kind of rebuilt the team a little bit. But then there's also the possibility that you get stuck in the bottom half of the championship for years. Maybe, you know, worst case scenario, you do a Sunderland and end up in League One. Um, but then, you know, like Norwich and Fulham fans must have had this thing over the last five, six years or so where you have a season of misery. Then you have a season of joy because you win every week. And like, I I kind of, I try to mitigate the fear of relegation by remembering that the most fan of the most fun I've had as a Palace fan was probably 12-13 when we went up because we were in the championship and we won a lot of games. Um, and obviously we did it the hard way through the playoffs, which kind of added drama um, and excitement. But it's not the be-all and end-all for me because these repetitive seasons of finishing 13th and being really underwhelming and like it gets a little bit dull, you know. Um, I'm not saying I want us to go down, but it's not as scary as it was a few years years ago because Wilf's going to leave anyway. So, yeah, yeah, I would just hope that we would... Not, I'm not expecting us to, as you say, do a Burnley and like start playing amazing football and go straight back up. But I just hope that it wouldn't become one of those like really difficult cycles to get out of and that it would only be temporary and then have a really fun season of promotion again. I, I should say for listeners that the re- reason Ruben says he can hear himself through the walls is because he's in a different next door recording studio. He's not going mad. Okay, just want to sort of <laughs> put, that, put that out there. Yes, also, for clarification. Also for- for context, Dom is often kept up at night, not only by Palace, but also by Chelsea as well. So he's got a lot on his mind at the moment. So we should throw that in for uh, for context as well. Actually, the teams that I cover, or that I cover most, have scored like four goals this calendar year. And and one of them was against Palace, for God's sake. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Uh, can I just, I need to also stress that I've asked that question because I'm interested in the in the issue. I don't. I still don't think Crystal Palace are going to get relegated this season. I still think that there are enough teams involved in this scrap, and there's enough ability in that squad to turn it round. I don't want this. Shouldn't become the sort of a funereal podcast where we're we're, we're assuming the worst is going to happen. There is still time for Crystal Palace to get out of this spiral of results and to and to hoist themselves well clear of trouble. And, and and you only have to look back to last season to remember. We, we all look back at last season and we remember that brilliant run-in. We, we blot out the Everton game, um, but we remember that, we, we know, scintillating performances, mid-table finish, oh, it's all very good and progressive. We've, we've all forgotten, collectively forgotten, that horrible run in the middle of the season where we won one in 14. So, it, you know, we hopefully in a few months' time we'll look back on this and think, blimey, we didn't half give Leicester a hammering when we when they came to Sellers in April, and that run-in was superb. So there's still time to change things. It's in their hands to get, to turn this round. I, I agree. I don't think we will go down this year. My worry, it would be next season, when I think it will be harder. But um, there's no point stressing about that now. We're gloomy enough as it is. We might as well. <laughs> um, I, think, I think, yeah, we will probably find some performances from somewhere and be all right. I agree with Dom. But yeah, next season is where I think it will be a lot harder than a lot of us um, maybe imagine right now. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a mad season. It's a, it's a weird season. I also don't think we'll go down, but um, for the sake of balance on the podcast and also because all of us saying we won't go down basically confirms you will. 
Uh, I'm going to say that we do go down just to cover our backs, but 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 I I, I it is a weird, it's a very weird season this year. But I feel like I'm saying that all the time at the moment. Um, and thank you, Ruben, for that. We, we are quite old on this podcast, so it is nice to get a young perspective on things. Actually, um, so I do really appreciate that. Um, let's let's stop there for questions. Thank you to our listeners for their questions. We'll come back with winners and losers after this short break. Welcome back to the Party Band Podcast. Hey. Hey. Board 464, it's time for winners and losers. This is a patron-only section. If you're on the patron feed, you're going to hear our winners and losers, uh, mostly losers. And if you're uh, on the public feed, you'll hear a clip from the post-match pod. If you like the sound of that, want to hear our winners and losers, uh, you can get all of that every week um, at patreon.com slash podcast. Link is below the pod. Well... I guess I can tell you from the start that when I was aware of the team, I was pleasantly surprised at the personnel because I think in terms of personnel, it's pretty much the best team Palace can put on the pitch at the moment. The disappointment was that the attacking four players used, none of them were used in the positions that I anticipated them playing when I saw the team sheet. I thought... We'd have Jordan Ayew as the nine, Wilfred left side, Elise, Michael Elise right side, and Eberechieze as the number 10. Eberechieze played on the number 10, in the number 10 role, sorry, sorry on the left side, rather. Uh, Michael Elise the 10, Wilfred as the nine, and Jordan Ayew on the right-hand side, which was switched during the game where he came inside and Elise went outside, you know, further on in the first half, but so it was almost like for my uh, for my plan, uh, Patrick uh, or my my plan, my idea, let's say, of how I I saw it. Uh, Patrick rotated by ninety degrees and moved everybody one slot over. So Jordan would have been central, went to the right. Uh, Elise would have been the right, ended up in the middle. Eze would have been in the middle, ended up on the left, and Wilfred, who was on the left, ended up up front. So it was, uh, it wasn't how I was anticipating things. Um, but uh, we actually started quite brightly, and obviously there was a very, very, very tight drawn line for the uh, for the offside goal, well taken, nice pass from Ebbs. Uh, Wilfred in, and Villa kept a very, very high line early on that we looked capable at times of exploiting. But unfortunately, uh, that fizzled out and uh, the run continues as it is, which I think we've won one in 14 games in all competitions. I think it was something like there's eight... I think we've scored seven goals in those 14 games. Eight On eight occasions, we haven't scored at all. And I think in total in the Premier League today, after today, that was the 11th time in 20... Well, we played 25 games or something now. I can't remember, but I think it was the 11th time anyway that uh, we've had a nil next to our 
name. And uh, we might actually, you might as well get some merchandise calling us Crystal Palace Neil. Yeah, actually, that's probably a better idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in all seriousness, I, I think, um, I mean, I can see there's been a bit of a sort of meltdown tonight and a lot of people very unhappy and calling for the manager's head and and so on. I mean, I'm pretty much in the place where I've always been really in that respect, in the fact that I've never been taken totally by it in from the first day and I've and I'm not now. You know, I, I I've and so nothing's really changed for me, but it appears that a lot of other people are in that sort of uh, that were perhaps on the uh, a little bit too much on the on on the upside of it and you know, after the four years with Roy where we had no investment in the team and we, you know, and and, and I think in, in fairness to Roy, you know, what we're seeing now, it underlines just how difficult his job was because this bloke's done the job with about 130 or 40 million pounds spent in the team, which, by the way, still isn't enough. And he has some massive deficiencies, Patrick, in his in his squad particularly at the top end of the pitch, you know. Um, but I, you know, again, there's no escaping the fact that we've played another 90 minutes, the second week in a row, without a shot target, you know, and that's that's not good enough, really. And I think after a sort of positive, positive beginning, we sort of faded a little bit. And the goal seemed to seem to affect us a little bit more in terms of, you know, perhaps we lost a little confidence. I mean, I've got to tell you, I, I don't know how many of the listeners that were, were there present at Villa Park today and how many um, watched on streams or whatever they're doing, but Aston Villa weren't particularly good, JD. They really weren't particularly good. Absolutely fair. Three stone-cold losers this week. Um, That wraps up our winners and losers. Um, Just a reminder, that's the patron-only section. If if you're on the public feed, you've just heard a clip from the post-match pod, which was a succinct two hours, five minutes this week. So um, do set aside some time to listen to that if you're on the on the patron um but you can get that every week and i winners and losers at patreon.com slash fap podcast after the break we're going to preview a fairly simple game against man city That's the first ever boo, uh, but it's probably fair. Um, it's time to preview. Well, we were going to preview Man City, but uh, Dom just reminded me off where that we're also playing Brighton midweek next week, um, which has been rearranged 400 times since the initial game. Um, so we're going to preview that as well. And in fact, Ruben, that actually works in nicely because the questions we've got are about not City in particular, but this run of games coming up. Obviously, Arsenal is the game after that. 
next Sunday. Not an easy game either. Mike Powell 2.0, clearly an improvement on the first Mike Powell, has said um, the next three games are not easy ones. Will our confidence be so low by that point there'll be no recovery? Bloody hell, Mike. I think I preferred Mike 1.0. It was much, much cheerier. <laughs> um, and Alan Dunt says, on current form, we're unlikely to take any points from the next three games. But if we lose them heavily, we'll perish and cope with the plug on Vieira. Oh, my God. I should have just asked you what you think about the Man City game. Um, this is bleak, man. It's bleak, uh, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I'll, so I'll try and throw some positive expecting. spin on it. Go on. Go yeah. On. So we're going to lose to City even though we do occasionally pull out a performance against them, like, you know, the Townsend game, that, that was 3-2, and then was it was it 4-2? Yeah. 3-2 uh, uh, again, was, wasn't it? 3-2 when... at their place, and then we lost 4-2 last season. Yeah. Um, but like, no, this season, sorry, this season. Yeah. Um, but we went ahead in that game, didn't we? Like, it, we, can, we can hurt City, uh, but I just don't feel like we will right now. The Brighton game will... Thankfully, it's one of those games where, not that it's a derby, but like form doesn't tend to matter because they are much better than us and they never beat us. Like it was, it, it's been like five or six years, hasn't it? Um, One thousand four hundred forty-four days, I believe. That's the stat. Um, so, yeah, it, I'm not. I mean, obviously, I'm worried and I hate watching those games and just go into them thinking, please don't lose. But I think if we get a result against Brighton, then Give us some co- that will hopefully put some confidence back in a team, which might not help against Arsenal because they are the best team in the league at the moment, but might help in the games after that when we need to capitalize on those opportunities to pick up points. So I'm not expecting anything really, but maybe a point, a point against Brighton because somehow we always seem to get one. I mean, that was the, the thinliest veiled positivity <laughs> ever, but we'll take it at this point. Uh, yeah, the fact that that counts as optimism is quite bad. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Andy, Brighton are absolutely superb at the moment. All their midfielders are scoring goals. Their strikers scoring goals. They are playing free-flowing football. They're confident. They're literally looking at a top-six finish. I mean, it couldn't be worse to be a Palace fan right now. But, as Ruben says, funny things happen in derbies. Can we really expect anything from this run of... We won't include the Arsenal game, but this one of next two games, or is it simply a case of get through, no injuries, don't get hammered, and then see what happens? There might be an element of that. I mean, I'm not sure I would completely write off the chances of Palace getting something out of these next three games. Um, You know, our home, our home form's not been that bad actually. You know, against some very good teams, we've been we've been getting points, um, um, albeit not particularly pretty, but it's um, it's been sort of grimly effective um city's away form is relatively mediocre by their standards actually and and you know probably worse teams than palace have got points against them at home forest did it forest did it recently um if you catch them on an off day and they've got a they've got a european game a few days later i think against leipzig which is quite finely balanced so you know that they have competing uh interests i guess uh you know you wouldn't you wouldn't rule out palace maybe getting a draw Brighton the same really all the things you just said about Brighton JD were, were true a few weeks ago when we played them at Celeste and it didn't didn't stop us getting a point in that in that game so um uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out I, I I struggle to see us beating either of those teams at the moment but but draws would not be a bad would not be a bad result 
um, given the, the squad. The squad's in a better shape than it was for that last Brighton game as well. Like we had to play Tompkins in that game, and we had no Wilf. Tompkins obviously scored yeah. very fortunately, but the squad's in a better place than it was then. So yeah. we need to at least try to find reason to be uh, hopeful for that game. Yeah, the romantic in me wants Wilf to potentially sign off his Palace Brighton story with a winning goal at the Amex, just as he did back in 2013. That would be that would be a lovely a lovely bookend to his potential bookend to his Palace career if he does move on in the summer. Um, and he wouldn't put it past him. No, that's that's very poetic. I love that. Uh, Dom, I'm going to ask you a question uh, as we wrap up now, and I'm being handed my four-month-old uh, who's about to join the podcast uh, and make his debut. Um, the question I've not asked before, who do you predict will be the winners and losers or your winners and losers this week by the time we pod next week? Um... So are we doing that post Brighton? Is that is on Thursday? Yeah. yeah, I think we're probably going to have to put on Thursday. Yeah. Well then um the winner will be um will definitely be be uh Ahamada, who will have come on and converted a Wilfred Zaha pullback about five minutes from time, um, uh, and then put it through Lewis Dunk's legs um and beyond um Luke Steele, who I think is their goalkeeper now, mm. is he? given that we've broken the previous one. Um, and then uh, the loser will definitely be, well, it'll be Dunk, um, although there'll be an honourable mention for Roberto De Zerbi, who will attempt to attack Patrick Vieira in the tunnel post-match and will be put firmly back in his box by the six-foot-four former Arsenal midfielder. Um, and uh, Palace will celebrate the point that they gained at City by claiming another at... Um, Brighton in midweek before we go to the Emirates and Wolf goes nap and we win 3-1. After all that, Palace only get a point at the Amex. <laughs> well, well, you always get a point at the Amex. And what do you expect? <laughs> yeah. We're win at the Amex, aren't we? We're going to beat Arsenal at the Emirates. So, you know, it's Dunk, Dunk will obviously end up lying on the floor as well, as he always tends to when they concede. And there'll be lots of lovely snaps of Adam in front of the away. The memory of Lewis Dunk departing. The press box at the Amex is right above the tunnel. So you can sort of stick your head over and see what what happens in the in the tunnel area. And and after the three one all those years back, when I think possibly one of the well certainly one of the last times they beat us, Lewis Dunk sort of went on. He was topless on the pitch and sort of conducting the crowd in their post match celebrations and strode off down the tunnel as if he'd won a one of FIFA's ridiculous gongs and. Uh, I've I've always counted that against him, held that against him ever since. So I, I think the, the more times we can rub his nose in it, the better. Well said, and a perfect place to end this week's episode. Uh, so when all those things come true, we'll be here next week to talk about them gloriously. Uh, but in the meantime, do enjoy the rest of your week as much as you can, Palace fans, and uh, patrons to get a post-match pod, of course, uh, too, this week, uh, immediately on their feed. Thank you all for joining me, the three of you. have been an absolute joy to have you on. Andy, thanks very much for debuting, and hopefully maybe see you again at some point. We'd love to, yeah. Very much available. Fantastic. Uh, thanks to our listeners for their questions, and uh, that's it. We will see you again very soon. Goodbye. Podcast Network.